Two. All right, welcome to episode 59 of the Breaking Balls podcast. We're here in the middle of the week because, well, we've got plenty to talk about this weekend. Full weekend of racing for Memorial Day, F1, IndyCar, NASCAR. Take your pick, Bob. Uh, well, big weekend, especially Coke 600 and Indy 500 stateside. So we're figured we bring on a guest for the second time this weekend, Mr. Evan Lockton. A lot to break down this weekend. Of course, it's Memorial Day. Hope you're sitting by the pool watching some racing this weekend. Flags in the air. Boogity, boogity, boogity. All right, everybody. Episode 59 of the Breaking Balls podcast. We are here on a Thursday. We're back to our roots here, Ad. And uh, midweek, because, of course, if you're in America, this is probably the biggest weekend as far as motorsports is considered. So uh, had to bring up the big guns. But uh, again, nice to see you on a Thursday, my friend. Absolutely, Bob. We used to uh, kind of force our way through two shows a week. Now we're just once. But, you know, when there's enough to talk about, there's enough to talk about. And there's even enough room to bring a nice friend along, Bob. So why don't you intro our favorite guest? Well, if you've listened to our NASCAR post-season uh, recap last year, you've you've known him. He was our first guest, and he is now our first recurring guest, friend of the podcast, Mr. Evan Locknett. Uh, Evan, welcome back to the hot seat here at Breaking Balls. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on. Had a great time back in November, and uh Excited to chop it up. We've got 1,100 miles of racing to talk about on Sunday. No, it's a, it's, a, it's a marathon of a day from Monaco early in the morning, IndyCar midday, kind of your lunch, and then you go Coke 600 at night. And the, you know, Coke finishes off the night. It's uh, kind of fitting there. So, um, well, obviously, this, this is a NASCAR podcast ad, but I'll, I'll, I'll say this, Bob. Uh, you, you've kind of set that up perfectly because if F1's breakfast, I usually don't eat breakfast. So, I don't know how much F1 you're going to get me to talk on this. And after my after my encounter with uh, F1 in Europe, I don't think I'm very interested in talking. So should we just skip to lunch? We we can. You know, obviously, it looks like it's going to be a Red Bull weekend. Qualifying is the only thing that really matters at Monaco. So watch that on Saturday. You'll probably catch the highlights on Sunday there. But add, um, no bones about it. I don't think you and I are IndyCar experts here by any stretch that means. Um, casual fans here, you know, we like to, you know, see – Roman Grosjean come close, but never, you know, finish off these races. So we figured we'll bring in as close to the expert as we can afford here at Breaking Balls. And Evan, um, you were the one that made made the the call and made the the, the answer on the Rolodex. So um, I know you kind of talked about it back in November, but uh, I'd say you like you you're you're an IndyCar encyclopedia, maybe, or at least when it comes to the 500, you're at least well rounded there. Uh, yeah, I, I would say uh, the 500 is it's my favorite event of the year. Um, been going since the hundredth running. Uh, my dad started going in 1988 and he, uh, was at every Indy 500 up until the pandemic year when there were no fans. Uh, and so I have, uh, no, no bones about it. Uh, you know, my girlfriend's birthday, uh, I'm going to be more than, you know, girlfriend in the future. And it's May 24th. And I'm like, look, all I'm saying is, is there's going to be like once every six years, your birthday's gonna have to be celebrated a couple days early because i swear to god as long as fans are allowed at that freaking place i am not missing an indy 500 so uh you know it'll be uh looking forward to 20 i was thinking today i'm looking forward to 2028 it'll be 40 years that a lock has been there uh so uh 2023 we're 35 years in uh 
but excited to be there uh, this Sunday. Uh, it's like I said, uh, it's one of those things you have to experience. And I've been to NASCAR races before, and they're great. But there's nothing like walking into that place on race day, and it's just it's an explosion. It's like a motorsports orgasm. It smells like racing. It looks like racing. And there's every color you can imagine. When you look in, the sky's blue, the grass is green, the track is black, the wall is white. Everyone in the stands has a different colored shirt on. It's sensory overload. And it's uh, just, it's, it's awesome. And just being there and seeing the, you know, the corporate folks all the way down to the snake pit folks, it's uh, quite, quite the ordeal. Yeah, amongst, it seems I like mean, he's got something for everyone there. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you what. Yeah, there's uh, the youngins in the snake pit. You know, people younger than me, my age, younger. I'm one of the probably few people my age, our age, that is sitting in the stands listening to the scanner, you know, cr- you know, talk with the old guys about the 88 race and the 72 race and how today's like that race. Um but yeah, there's something there is something for everybody at that race, and it's just uh, they they call it the greatest spectacle. And I'll tell you what, it, it you know whether you think it's the greatest or not, it is a, a damn spectacle. Well, a little known fact here on the podcast is that before I ever really was into NASCAR, the first motorsport I watched was IndyCar. So my grandpa would take me to to Long Beach every year. We would go watch the Grand Prix, have a great time doing that, and. Just to think of, like you said, I think the cool part about IndyCar is that, like, just that ambiance. It does. You're right. It feels like racing, even in Long Beach, which do, is not doesn't have any of the history, or you know, it has a little bit, but nothing compared to Indy. And it's just like, I, I can't, I can't quite wrap my wrap my head around why why that experience at an IndyCar race is so different from any other motorsport. Well, that's I, I mean. Long Beach, you, I mean, that's still one of like you know the most like historic on the IndyCar calendar wise, yeah. and even Indy Five Hundred. You both, your your families have gone in the past, and it feels like once you go once, families keep going back. Mm-hmm. It becomes a traditional thing. Evan, especially you know, like you said, thirty five years now for your family at the Indy Five Hundred. What makes IndyCar something that is a tradition? You have to go every year because a lot of times you know you can go every couple years or now and then. What makes it to where you have to be at the Indy 500 every year? I think the, the great thing is it's it's the race itself. It is, you know, when, when I think about it, it's up there with the 24 Hours of Le Mans as the most grueling races out there. No offense to other um, endurance races. Um, and there's something about just the speed, the, the death that's happened there. I mean, if thank God no one's died in recent years and about I, the last 20 years. But, you know, it's one of those things where still, like, open-wheel cars, the open cockpit, but I'm glad they have the the um, aero screen now because it has probably saved a couple guys' asses a couple times already. But there's just something about, like, the, the danger there is is, is palatable. And seeing, you know, on qualifying weekend, going 243 miles an hour, you're not getting that anywhere else. And, you know, the Daytona 500 is great, but when you win the Indy 500, unless it's rare one every 30 years fuel race, you actually win the, you won the race. You had the best car. You did the best driving. You didn't spin somebody out to win. You didn't get lucky because of a caution. 
you won because you were the best driver that day. And I think there's something about that. And all the old, the old geezers that go, what was different back in the day was you, us three would show up with three different cars. There were no specs, nothing like you showed up and you know, Bobby has a wing. I don't have a wing. Adam has this wing that goes up to heaven and they all three go, you know, incredibly fast. And it's one of those things where I think that the innovation of it is, is, is sparked people, but still today you can't beat speed and nowhere else in the world do you have cars going 243 miles per hour in the turn one or three, depending on where the wind's blowing. You've got speed on the track and off the track because obviously the snake pit is, is moving at a, at a pace too. I mean, I would love to see Adam. I would love to see you down there in the snake pit. I gotta say, I feel like you would, you would thrive in that environment. It feels like, you know, obviously not really having an understanding because I haven't been, but if I were, uh, it it seems like it rivals the Boulevard at Talladega. It's, it's from all stories that I have heard, this feels like the place to be this weekend. I mean, especially my dad's friends, so many people. I was just saying my dad's friends would tell you too, what it is today back in the eighties overdrive overdrive. Oh, Police showing up, handing out bags of substances for for the crowd that they confiscated from teenagers. You know, like, I mean, just absolutely <laughs> insanity, like RV orgies, like, you know, just everything you expect at a Memorial Day cookout. <laughs> I mean, oh, well, I mean when one in a thousand Americans on average are there, I mean, you're going to you're going to get some stories. Obviously, you're you're gonna get you're gonna get a time there. As far as the actual race, though, because Evan, like you said, you can't beat speed. Obviously, the whole lore on and off track is especially with Indy, but the race itself is what draws everyone there every year and brings them back. Um, you know, me and Ad, we're, we're we're Indy car casual, as I'd say. Is is that a good word for us, Ad casuals? Yeah, I would even if there was a step below casual, that would probably be me. I'm a big Long Beach and Indy 500 guy. That's probably it. But it's getting better. It is getting okay, better. Well, I'll say that. I, I don't want to speak for our listeners here, but we are a predominantly NASCAR podcast here, Evan. So some of some of them are picking up. Some of them are, are understanding what's going on here. But um, just a crash course here on the Indy 500. You know, we we figured, you know, anybody knows that it, it's you, my friend. So, um, you know, a couple of storylines maybe that some people are kind of overlooking this weekend, some favorites. Um, just a general idea of the race here for somebody who maybe um, this is their first Indy 500 watching. Yes, I mean, there's storylines abound. I mean, even starting with the fact that the man who was bumped from the race, Graham Rahal, is going to be in the race driving a Chevy. He's a Honda man, um, which for some people, I don't think they understand what big of a deal that is. Um, But kind of like when people talked about Kyle Busch going from Toyota to Chevy, this is the same thing. But Graham Rahal on a one-off is going to hop in a Chevy because his car was bumped from the field by his own teammate who is probably lucky to have a job and might have been fired automatically if he wouldn't have bumped his way into the field on Jack Harvey. So that's the initial storyline right there. Really feel bad for Stefan Wilson, races in honor of his brother, Justin, who died in um, the mid-2000s after being hit in the head with a uh, piece of debris at Pocono, um, broke one of his vertebra, um, looked like an innocent crash, but directly directly head on on Monday practice. So really tough for Stefan. One race a year, 
put together a really good program, qualified decently. Um, so it, it sucks for Stefan, but Graham Rahal hopping in that car and a car that's better than his car that he actually drives is an interesting storyline. You have Scott Dixon, who is the greatest IndyCar driver of this generation and arguably a top five race car, American race car, like American series driver of all time. He has only won one Indy 500. He's come painfully close multiple times. 2020, just in the last couple of years, 2020 yeah. got passed on lap five, with five laps to go. Caution comes out with three laps to go. Race ends under caution. Last year dominated the race. Absolutely class of the field. One mile per hour over on his last pit stop. Slid skid the brakes just a little too hard at the at the timeline. So you have arguably, like I said, arguably it's AJ Foyt, Mario Andretti, and probably Scott Dixon in the list of greatest IndyCar drivers of all time. And then you have the the renaissance of AJ Foyt racing. AJ will put a boot in your ass, but the last 15 years his cars couldn't you know cut the mustard the best aj foyt story is when he fired his grandson after qualifying for the 500 and called him a dead ass uh that is something adam would do i i could see adam some, doing that's tough that is something that i would yeah me and richard childress are very good at abandoning one grandchild <laughs> hey, I'll tell you, AJ Foyt, man, and then AJ Foyt the fourth. He was in the truck series faster than I've ever seen anyone in the truck series. But AJ Foyt, he has two cars that qualified in the top twelve. Santino Ferrucci, who's my personal favorite driver, full time ride this year with AJ, and he's got a car that can win this race. And this, if the fourteen, and it's got a patriotic paint scheme on this Memorial Day weekend. If he could end up in victory lane, there will be some shirts off, including mine which no one wants. So you probably want to, if you're going to be there in section 109, you're probably rooting against Santino. But uh, it's funny on qualifying weekend, I'm watching it and my girlfriend's kind of getting into it a little bit. And she's like, Santino Ferrucci is from Connecticut. She was like, I could, I would have never guessed that man's from Connecticut. And then she saw his hair. What are you talking about? Like kind of. With a, with a last name, like with a last name, like Ferrucci, he has to be from Connecticut. If he's from the United States, it's going to be Connecticut. It's true. There's so dude. There's so many Italians in Connecticut. He probably Ferrucci bloods in there. I, I got to be honest here. Whenever I, I hear Santino Ferrucci on the broadcast, I think of Santino from the WWE. I think of Santino Morella. Um, I, I just have to get that off my chest here. Well, hey, that's intercontinental, in, intercontinental champion Santino Morella to you. And that is why we podcast together. Santino's an interesting story, too. He was in F2 and got kicked out of F2 for being a brat and apparently might have punched one of his teammates, and he was ostracized from the Formula One community. He came to America and is just bad fast on ovals, and he's kind of known as the ringer. Um, last year, he didn't have a full-time ride, but anytime someone couldn't drive, he hopped in the car and finished top 10. He's an unreal talent. Dale Jr. loves him, which is good enough for me. And he's never finished outside the top 10 in the Indy 500. He started four times and started in the top 10 every time. This year, he'll be starting fourth. His best career start before that's 15th. So watch out for him. And I think the final thing is, is you have two teams that are the class of the field. Uh, Penske this year, and ever since the new car uh, that came out, they haven't been as good at Indy. Pagano won in 2019, Power won in 2018, 2020, new chassis. They haven't been as good. 
You have three obviously talented drivers, one a former Indy champion in Will Power, and Joseph Newgarden's been close a couple times, but really never with Penske. His closest was when he was still with Sarah Fisher Hartman uh, racing or Ed Carpenter racing, whoever he was with at the time. They all got together and had a team, you know, unification process. So you have that, but you have the McLarens and you have the Ganassis, and you have eight drivers that are all superstars. In Ganassi, you have three champions of the Indy 500. Takuma Sato, a two-time champion. Al, um, Marcus Erickson, the defending champion. And then Scott Dixon, the aforementioned Scott Dixon. And then, on top of that, you have Alex Pillow, who has finished in the top five the last two years. And had a great rookie campaign in 2020. He's, he's the class of the field. By far, I think, has the best chance to win because he's due. But then in McLaren, you have some dogs. you got Alexander Rossi, who no one is more exciting than Alexander Rossi. He will pass three cars on the outside on a dirty track just because he can. Tony Kanaan, a fan favorite, is also in a McLaren. His last year at the Indy 500 from Brazil, but he might as well be from Indianapolis the way they treat him there. And then you have two guys that I think really have a really good chance to win this race and Pato award and Felix Rosenquist shout out to Felix Rosenquist. Um, you know, a guy who got bumped out of Ganassi for Alex Pillow. And frankly, he probably has the second best car in this field. So it's going to be really interesting to see how the team dynamics play out because you're going to have probably eight of the top 12 cars be from two teams. I guess the my question is, as a casual fan, what do you think benefits a driver at a track like Indianapolis more? Just kind of having the experience of running the race and kind of being at those high speeds at because it's such a unique oval and it, you know I, you just have to be completely fearless behind the wheel. So, do you think it is would be better off to have kind of the like a killer mentality as far as a driver just being going out there and being fearless, or would you rather have? If, I guess the question is car or driver, what's more important at, at, Indy, at the Indy 500? I'll spit it out eventually, I promise. I, I, I still think the driver, because when it comes down to it, you're going to have 12 cars this year that probably can win this race. If it's a normal race, fuel doesn't become, it's not a, you know, like there's like the one off where it's a fuel race. Alexander Rossi benefited from that in 2016, the 100th running. He came coasting across the line at 120 miles per hour, but he had a full lap lead on the field because he didn't have to make a final pit stop. So I still think it's the driver because at the end of the day, you're going to have eight to 12 cars that are just badass and they're going to have a chance to win this race. And it's probably even larger than that. You probably could bump it up to 15 because some of the drivers can, Joseph Newgarden can squeak out a, if his car is a seventh place car, he can get a second place finish because he's Joseph Newgarden, that kind of thing. So I still think I want the driver um, because at the end of the day, like the cream of the crop rises to the top. There's a reason certain guys finish in the top five consistently at Indy. Dan Weldon drove in cars that were never the best other than in 2005 and 2006. He finished second twice in 2009, 2010, and then one in 2011 in second rate cars. There's a reason that, that it is. Those cars were not Ganassi cars. They weren't Penske at the time. They weren't Andretti. But he found a way to be there at the end and benefited from it. 
in 2011 when J.R. Hildebrand hit the wall on the last turn. He scoots by his final weight, his final win ever in IndyCar, Indy 500, tragically dies a few months later in Las Vegas. But, you know, I that's why I still think you want the driver. And that's why they're, you know, and it doesn't, experience matters, but like there's just dudes that get off, get off the hauler and they're just dogs there. Alex Pillow only has th- three starts, but he's a dog. He's a dog. Dog, pardon me. He's a dog. Like the, the, the dude just, he can drive Wolf. there. Yeah, damn straight. And he's Spanish, so, you know, uh, oh, vamos, vamos, Alex. Um, but, yeah, I think that I gotta say, some dudes just if, have it. If New Garden wins, though, if New Garden wins on Sunday, I'm going to Hendersville City Hall, and I am absolutely downing a gallon of milk right in front of the – Right in front As of the city should. hall, so we're we're we're, we're christening the city because he hasn't won. That's the if I'm wrong here, I think that's New Garden's one thing he's missing in his career is the Indy 500 crown, right? Hundred percent, two time champion, one uh, dozens of race, probably about two dozen races, something like that. I mean, the guy's uh, he, he's a through and through champion, and that's the one thing one thing he's missing. And it, that's the crazy thing with this field nine nine of the thirty three drivers are past champions. That's a high number for this race. And I would say of those nine, a majority of them have a legit chance to win. The one who might have the Let worst chance this, is Elio. Oh, oh, that's that's tough to hear because I know that as far as indie fan favorites, everyone loves that man. I mean, he is Mr. Indianapolis. I mean, I think, I think that goes without My being said. They're even from somebody that you know maybe doesn't watch IndyCar a lot. You know that that man is dominant there over time. But um, I guess my question is, you know, because me and Adam have been known to throw a little money down here and there. If I said, Evan, I have a hundred dollar bill. I'm going to Las Vegas tomorrow and I'm trusting in your guidance here. Who, who would you, who would you take this weekend? I know it's such a crapshoot. Like you said, a couple of different guys. It seems like there's a couple of different teams that are involved here, but who who's the locknet faith in this weekend? So if you're looking if you're looking to just get a win under your belt, maybe you've had a tough tough uh, late spring. Maybe you've been betting on like Hofstra college baseball. You know, maybe you're just in a degenerate <laughs> state. You just want to win. I think your money goes on Alex Pillow. I think he has the best chance to win this race. He's starting on pole. He has been close the last two years. I think you gotta you gotta say that he is the person that has the best chance to win. Now, if you're looking to maybe make a little money, I think someone you gotta look at is Tony Kanan. Tony Kanan is fearless. He finished third last year. He's starting in the top ten. I think he's got a really good chance to, to be up there at the front when when the money is on the line. So if you're looking for like a dark horse, like I said, Tony, and that's a, a dark horse in the sense that he's not going to be in the top five favorites. So you're still going to get better odds than half the field with Tony Kanan. If, if, you know, if you like horse racing, you know, sometimes you go for the trifecta. If you, maybe you're doing a little money on the Preakness last weekend, you can do that for, for racing. I think a really, a, a really interesting, you know, whatever you want to call it, three, you know, you want the three numbers on the horses. If you want three drivers, I think if you lay down Felix Rosenquist, Polo, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take Tony off this, but I think Ferrucci has a really good chance to be up there as well. And that's me fangirling a little bit, but I think if you take the the six, the ten, and the fourteen, you got you got a pretty damn good chance 
um, of at least one of those guys winning the race, which will get you a nice, you know, a nice little a bit there. So, and if you want a real dark horse, like someone that is probably not thought of this year as someone that can win is Colton Herta. I think he can wheel that car around, even if it's not the best, but I'm just not trusting in Andretti. But there's just, I mean, there's so many guys. Like Takuma Sato is another guy, fearless. He will put that car where no one else wants to put it. Maybe that's what wins him his third Indy fight. Like there's just so many guys that have quality equipment now. And the parody in this in this uh, racing series is is up there with the best of them. It's up there with NASCAR. And in fact, I think it's even got a little more parody than NASCAR right now. So, you know, it's it's tough. But like I said, Polo, I like Kanan. I, it's his last race. I think he's going to leave it all on the line. And I think, you know, Felix Rosenkist and Ferrucci are two other guys that are going to start at the front. And starting at the front helps. It just it's, it's one of those races. Evan, I only have $100, so I'm going to go with Polo there just to be safe. Um, I'm not a rich man here, so um, I'm just going to stick with Alex Polo and be safe on that. I, I do want to touch on something you mentioned, though. You said Tony Kanaan is last, last Indy 500 here. I've seen some rumors. Is is this Tony Kanaan's last Indy 500 like it was Eric Almirola's last season last year where, you know, everyone's saying it is, but really we're we're coming back here and uh, we're going to – we'll see him next year. If Arrow McLaren – if Penske would never do it, but if Arrow McLaren, if Andretti, if Ganassi ever wanted a, a fifth car in the race, they'd call Tony. I mean, it's just that simple. The man can drive at that track. And it's one of those things where some guys have bad luck. He's had bad luck, but he, he won one, which was awesome in 2013, but he can wheel it. And I mean, the thing about him and, and Elio and some of these guys that are racing in their late forties, it's no offense to Ryan Newman, you know, no offense to, you know, some of these older guys in NASCAR. I can't even think of one now that's trying to come back. They're in the best. I mean, they, they bike, they run, they run triathlons. Like these dudes, they're not out of shape. They can hop in these cars. It's not like, oh, Tony Stewart's going to try it. Like that's, just, it's not like that. So yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's going to be his last. I kind of hope it isn't because he's, he's, he's a beloved son, but it might be. And if it is uh cheers to a tremendous, uh, Tremendous career and someone that, you know, I think him and Elio, Connor, Connor, in the last 20 years, Ed Carpenter, because Ed Carpenter and Connor are locals. But, you know, you got two locals and then two kids from Brazil that are now Wait, old. Connor men. Daly, like the guy that drove at Coda, he's a, he's an IndyCar driver. Are you, I thought he was a NASCAR back charter. No, I honestly sir. thought he just no, podcasted sir. for Dale Jr. <laughs> And I'll tell you what, the loudest cheer, unless Elio and Tony win that race, the loudest cheer on Sunday will be if Connor Daly takes the lead, bar none. Interesting. Um, you know, Adam, this time next year, we are going to be talking about Kyle Larson in the Indy 500. I, I'm excited about that as well. I mean, uh, we're, we're NASCAR boys are infiltrating Indy. It's about time. It's been a while. You know, we've been saying this for a long time, Bob, but I, I largely consider Kyle Larson to be the best race car driver in the world. And I am just so excited to see what he looks like behind the wheel of an Indy car going roughly 240 miles an hour. I just, 
I'm so curious to see how it translates. I'm so glad that they seem to be doing it right, you know, giving him sim time, giving him time at the track to really get used to the car, such that I think he may even be a little bit competitive. But obviously, like Evan just brought us through, it's such a competitive field that this is not going – It's I don't think it's just going to be as easy as a jump as we're all making it out to be, but it is still Kyle Larson who's the best race car driver in the world. What do you think, Evan? Here's the thing. If this was in the old aero package where you could easily follow, and I think I love Fernando Alonso. He's one of my original loves in racing. He benefited from that in his Indy 500 where he was super competitive and his engine crapped out. He benefited from having a good car and being able to closely follow. These new cars actually, I think, benefit Kyle Larson more. It's harder to drive in traffic. It's slippery. You're wrangling it a little bit more. I think he actually would do worse in the old car where it was easier to drive because when it's easier to drive, that levels the playing field a little bit. With these cars now, it's harder to drive, and I think Kyle Larson is the cream of the crop when it comes to wheeling a car. I mean, there's just no denying that. He is one of the best wheelers of a car out there, and you see that when he wins every dirt race he enters. So I will say as long as McLaren's equipment is steady, He's, I guarantee he'll finish in the top 10 next year. I guarantee it. I just, I'm that confident in him. If Kurt Busch could hop in an Indy car and finish sixth, Kyle Larson can win the race. Well, uh, you know, I would love to see Ross Chastain in Indy car just to see if, you know, the field would survive an entire race. Like but, going back to it, open know. wheel racing is still more dangerous than that. We can't afford to have Ross running into the back of people. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. You can't use your front wing to turn the guy. It just doesn't. You, you, you couldn't crash your Indy car into the wall at Martinsville and hope to make it around. Okay. You couldn't hail melon it. It's just. <laughs> I just have a whole hail melon at Indy. I have a hilarious image in my head right now of, of Indy cars running in Martinsville, by the way, of just the most frustrating race ever. <laughs> that would be horrendous. If they're going to do that, strip so the awful. wings off the cars and run them like 60s Formula One cars. No wings. Just go out there no and have, wings. have fun, you know? What's interesting about that Kyle oh, Larson oh. ride, though, with McLaren, Kyle Busch was this close to doing it, and then Kyle Larson came around, and so... I'll tell you, if Kyle Busch could get a ride with Kyle's in the Indy 500, that is a wet dream. It's just, it's as simple as that. I mean, and honestly, Kurt Busch says he's getting close to being healthy. I'd love to see him try again. Of all the NASCAR guys that I would like to see jump in a car, Kyle Larson's number one, obviously. Kyle Busch is up there. I think Christopher Bell would be a tremendous driver at Indy. Basically, anyone that's got dirt experience, I'm, you know, that's going to be be helpful. So, you know, a guy like, um, you know, like William Byron, who's a sim racer guy, I, he would, I don't think he could do it. Are you telling me that Ricky Stenhouse is going to do the 2027 double? No. Because I am going to go ahead and prep for that and get my travel arrangements in order. I will I'll, see y'all in 2027 there. in a few years. You know who also would be good is Chase Briscoe. Chase Briscoe would be, I think, good oh. at, at, at Indy. Kit, am I allowed to say Cody Ware since he's done IndyCar before? Am I allowed? Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Oh, anyway, anyway, we're through lunch. We're through lunch, and we might have just thrown up a little bit after lunch there. I'm so sorry. Um, you know, at this he's point in the day, it's about five o'clock on the East Coast. <laughs> he's, he's he's if he gets out, he might have a chance here. Um, you, you know, obviously, we're through lunch here. Yeah, we're through Monaco. We're through Indianapolis now. 
the real marathon is is the night race because the Coke 600, obviously, it's the longest race of the year in North America as far as NASCAR is considered. I mean, Adam, sure you remember last year because it was you know obviously a, memor- a Memorial Day to remember, but um, Denny Hamlin was the one that outdueled everyone and just you know a chaotic ending there. Um, are you gonna are you gonna be able to make it through all? Was it four hundred laps? Are, are we gonna uh, eyes on all four hundred here? I'm not going to lie to you. 600 miles of just about anything seems like it's out of my range. Um, But I will hang in. I I think I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have to get some coffee, you know, kind of, kind of keep myself up, but no, I'm I'm actually excited for this one. Like you said, Denny, Denny last year kind of won a really a chaotic race. I mean, I'm pretty sure I honestly, it's coming back to me now the the 10 lap red flag for Christopher Busher flipping, all sorts of weird things went on in this race last year. So um, I'm just excited to kind of strap in. And I just think that it, life, my life is exponentially better when there's racing on TV. So it's just one of those things where it's like, it's the best thing to have on throughout the day. And this is our day, like Sunday. And just to kind of lead into the Coke 600, it's just, I don't know, man. It, this feels like one of the more American weekends out there, strictly because of the combination of Memorial Day and racing and how good of a job NASCAR does interplaying the two. And you got the pageantry, like you said, Memorial Day weekend. Obviously, um, you know, all the different patriotic schemes. I didn't realize, but apparently this is one of the biggest activation weekends the U.S. military has as far as sponsorship-wise, is the NASCAR race, the Coke 600. So um, a lot of, you know, Funds are poured into the marketing here. Obviously, it's a big remembrance weekend, and NASCAR does a great job combining that. Realistically, it's pretty much the only you know endurance race that NASCAR has as well. Yeah, and not only that. Go ahead, Adam. I'm think, so sorry. No, no worries. Sorry. The um, I think just the way that the the brands within the sport, like Goodyear, is doing something with the tire in order to honor Memorial Day, and then Sunoco has. Um, they are using their sponsorship spot on the checkered flag to include a memorial, a, you know, Memorial Day tribute. It's just the way that everybody buys into the weekend. I, I really think it it's one of the most, you know, it, in George Bush's America, this used to happen every weekend. I think now with where we've had with where our country is headed as far as patriotism goes, um, you don't get weekends like this very often. So it's good to um, yeah, come out. The it's good to kind of, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, LA is a depressing place for America. I'll tell you what, the Lake of the Ozarks, it is it is George Bush's America every weekend, let me tell you. Beautiful, beautiful Branson, Missouri, be ladies home. and gentlemen. Oh man. Hit the outlet mall. Hit the outlet mall. But oh, the gosh. the one thing about this race though is when the track is on and there was, you know, the last couple years. You know, the Charlotte Motor Speedway, they brought the Roval in because the, the track hadn't been producing like they wanted to after the repave. Feels like last year with the next-gen car, they hit on something with these mile-and-a-halves, and Charlotte was no exception. It was one of the best races of the year. And when you have a 600-mile race, it's hard to keep fans entertained, but it felt like last year, the entire time, the racing was great. And Evan, I'm just curious, you know, can we expect the same thing this year, Nostradamus Evan? I mean, is the next-gen car going to produce like last year, or are we going to be more of the short tracks news and the, the super speedway snoozing that we've had to start the year. Was Kansas a good race? Then oh, sh- buddy, was then it? Charlotte's going to be a good race. I, I mean, that's my best. I, I You know, it's, it's hard to say because the short tracks are awful. I mean, that's something that's got to be addressed. The short track racing is yes. supposed to be kind of the, the premier racing of NASCAR. 
because you can put your bumper, boys will be boys type of thing. It just hasn't been that. And the super speedways, I've, I'm, I'm lukewarm on super speedway racing most of the time because it's just as fun as it can be. I, I, you know, no one wants to be sitting there at 445 and know with three laps to go, I'm busy till six. Like that, that's, that's a tough thing. But as when it comes to the mile and a half, I think they've hit. I think that is been great. I think it's interesting that, of course, they finally get a car that's good on the mile and a half again. And what have they started doing? Moving away from mile and a half. Which, you know, hey, they can't help. They needed to change it up. They had to. But frankly, they need to get rid of the Roval. They need to race on this track at night twice a year. It's it's good racing, and, and it should produce and I think with 600 miles, the great thing is, is you sent me that audio today from Bobby or from Kyle Larson, Bobby, you know, last year he was awful in the first hundred laps and he had 300 laps to turn it around and he did. And it's one of those things where when you race 600 miles, there's time, you know, you, you can get a couple lucky dogs and, and still end up at, at the front of the field. So I think they did hit on something. And I think the great thing is, is the Coke 600 always is, it's a mixture of, endurance the car and the driver it's a mixture of, of fuel saving and it's you know tire wear and who can do the best to manage their tires and i think it's it's a great combination and these new cars i think uh really help exploit those things that make this a great race and you touched on it and i think it's going to be massively important is what what is the tire going to look like that goodyear brings i think that's Honestly, as an NASCAR fan, one of the weirder questions you have to ask every week is what's this tire going to wear like or what's it what's it going to look like with a few laps on it because nobody ever knows. So, but yeah, I, I think you touched on it. I, I'm sad to see that NASCAR has finally found a packager in, in the next-gen car that can really perform at these mile and a half. But then, you know, it sucks because it's like you look at the schedule and Kentucky's gone. And, you know, even a place like Iowa's gone. I think Iowa would be a cool place. to. I want them to get Iowa back on that fucking schedule so badly for the record. Hand up. But and no. I know that's not a mile and a half. I don't care. I don't care. But I, I just there are so many tracks that NASCAR has gone away from that I fucking hate. And the fact that you just gave me even a little bit of a, a tangent point for it made me very happy. So I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> no, it's 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 fair. I mean, the, you get away from the tracks that. I believe Robin Scherbatsky said it in the How I Met Your Mother. Timing's a bitch. Um, and it kind of feels like it right now where NASCAR was so good with these short tracks of the super speedways with the last-gen car and the mile-and-a-halfs were kind of snoozers. And two years later, we're, we have literally done a 180 here, y'all. I, I mean, it is it makes no sense. Well, the <laughs> biggest problem is, is these mile and a halfs were built in the heyday of NASCAR, the early 2000s. That's when Las Vegas popped up, Chicagoland, Kentucky. Um, you know, they added all these tracks that were mile and a halfs, and it got stale eventually, and people stopped going. And I think even more so than the racing, it was the fact that they just weren't economically profitable. You know, we spent some time talking about IndyCar. IndyCar, IndyCar's grassroots, the Champ Car and, and Cart were always road course centric. But when IndyCar started in 1996, it was an all oval schedule. They raced at Charlotte. They raced at Las Vegas. They raced at Atlanta. They raced at all those places. And through time, it became more of a, you know, they incorporated road courses and more and more. And then 
now it's hard to find an oval that not only is competitive to race at, but people will show up to watch racing. And it's one of those things where that's why NASCAR is going to do some stupid street race in Chicago. It's hard to tell someone travel all this way to come sit in the heat, watch cars go in a circle for 400 miles. And that's all you get to do. And that's what is killing mile and a half racing as I would, I'm willing to do it, but a lot of people aren't. And I don't blame them with how expensive it is to travel and stuff. It's not just like hop in the car and, and take the family in the minivan to Kansas motor speedway. If you live in, you know, Detroit, Michigan, that's not, that's not easy. So you got to give me more than just one race on Sunday that is, you know, going to be a thing. And that's what IndyCar struggle with. And I think that's what NASCAR has struggled with to a point is, you know, you need more. And it really, and that, it's a shame because it has I mean, nothing to do with the racing. No, I agree. And I think, you know, even when NASCAR does kind of dip their toe into a little bit of pageantry, as we've seen in the past two weeks with Darlington and then North Wilkesboro, they do a really good job with it. And then this week, obviously, with the concerts and stuff going on with the race, they seem to be getting it. They seem to understand that it can't just be racing, period. It has to be racing, comma, and, and then another event. Like, you have to make, you have to make it such that the time that people are spending it at these events are worthwhile, whether there's racing on the track or concerts off of it, it just has to be entertaining. And I think that's how you get growth and interest into the sport. And that's one of the things that IndyCar, I think, does so well with the snake pit. You could buy a ticket to the race. You could pay extra money to go sit in the snake pit. It's up to you. I think NASCAR could learn a lesson or two from it. And even North Wilkesboro. I mean, obviously, that's going to be a little bit different because of the environment and where it's at. But you know, you had on Sunday, they made sure fans got there early. One, because it was going to be traffic issues, but they had a Dirk Bentley concert, I think, four hours before the race started. You know, it's not even a pre-race concert at that point. It's just come out, you know, you've got things to do before the, the events even start. So you don't have to pick one or the other. It, there's a lead up to the race. And some weekends you get that. And obviously, different markets, it's going to be a little bit easier. Um, but yeah, I mean, add even, you know, you look at the L.A. market. It was easy to do the Coliseum because you're right downtown. How hard is it for a family of four to go out to Fontana? That's probably a lot more of a hassle. Yeah, Fontucky is called Fontucky for a reason. It's because it's out there off the freeway that nobody ever goes out there. I mean, the Inland Empire is just that. It's it's an expanse of an empire of a bunch of places that nobody really wants to be. And to, like as much as you want to, you know, the the real estate was what worth what it was worth because it's sitting in California and there's always this idea that somehow the Inland Empire can be LA or Orange County, but you're right, Bob. It just doesn't make sense because what, okay, you go out there, you're in the middle of the get high desert, watching people go around in circles for a few, for a few hours doing that. Like it, it, there's just nothing, no entertainment value added to Fontana that even me as a racing fan, there's a reason I, what's, you know, my grandpa used to take me to Fontana, but once he passed, there was really no reason for me to keep going because I was more so going just to kind of hang out with my grandpa and that type of thing and not really, you know, the race was kind of like, ah, whatever. But, you know, I, I just think the more they go towards doing entertainment and racing, I think the better off that the, the health of the sport is going to be overall. I, I think you're starting to see it. NASCAR is finally starting to adapt, but it, it's definitely something that they've got to keep on the horizon. You see IndyCar with Iowa not only the track reviving because of the racing, but they bring in multiple headline shows on Saturday and Sunday for that doubleheader race. You, you've got to have a reason for fans to come out, not just because of the race fans. 
You want your your brother to come. You want your girlfriend to come. You want your friends to come that maybe aren't just diehard race fans, but it gives them a reason. You've got them around the track already. My girlfriend hey, let me who's say really this, Bob. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Evan. You're good. You're the guest. You're the guest, say, pal. Like, Keep going. My girlfriend who really could care less about racing, I, I like to think that I'm I'm changing the tide a little bit with it. But we, you know, she ended up having a, a um, bachelorette party that weekend. But, uh, you know, we were going to go up to Iowa. Kenny Chesney, Carrie Underwood, Zach Brown Band, Ed Sheeran. Two races. You get a ticket for all six of those events for like 200 bucks. I mean... That that, that, that event also yeah, creates a very it, it creates so a very fun game of one of these things is not like the other though I will say yes that it does it with does, the uh, yes. with the musical artists yes <laughs> I wonder how many hey, you're uh, not going to see Ed Sheeran at uh, Darlington <laughs> no even next weekend when NASCAR goes the Gateway Dirks Bentley is coming to the Ozark Amphitheater here in Mid Missouri um, in July. A ticket's a hundred bucks. I can go to the race at Gateway for eighty bucks and see the Dirk Bentley concert. I mean, that's no, it's a it's a no brainer. You know what? Too um, last year, all my buddies went. Girlfriends came because uh, Old Dominion was playing after the race. You're go- and then too, you know what? After the race, two of the four girls were like, "I think I'd come back and watch this," and they weren't talking about the concert. I always tell people, they say, I don't get racing. I don't like it. It's boring. I say, go to a race. Just go. I don't care where, what kind of car, go to a race and stand by the track. I guarantee you, you will leave with a smile on your face. Guaranteed. That's that's the whole thing is just getting them to the track, getting people to the track that wouldn't necessarily be there. Go ahead, Ad. Sorry. I will say this. I mean, if there was ever a weekend to kind of go and check out NASCAR, this is it. Between the pageantry and the fact that they're in Charlotte, which is kind of you know, the Israel of NASCAR, as I like to call it, the homeland. It's just, it's where everything happens. It's where, it's, it's where all the race teams are based out of. <laughs> oh, what did that one, did that get you guys? <laughs> oh man. After the Crusades comment last week, we're just really hitting on all religion. I'll just, I'm just going to rip through the Holy Land podcast by podcast. Whether or not we have one by the end of this is up to you. I don't understand. <laughs> Well, we're go- oh this weekend. Well, the the Indy Indy car is at the Mecca, so you know it's uh yeah. This is this is kosher for everyone on Memorial Day, except for the hot dogs. Yeah. So um, I hope they're at least like I y'all said. Charlotte kosher. is the home. Well, <laughs> that's for the grill master to find out you and you to test it later. But uh, obviously, with NASCAR being at the home track in Charlotte, that's a big thing for teams. But this is also. Like kind of a reset point. You're 13 races down in the regular season, 13 to go. You know, I feel like this is kind of a fitting point to kind of look at the the season halfway before we get to the playoffs here. Hendricks kicked everyone everyone's ass. Can we agree on that? That's the one thing I think that we can just all all shake our heads and say yes. That's 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 at least par for the course here. Yeah. Um. Hold on. You said 13 races. Yes, but. You said 13 races into the season, right, Bob? So that's 13 on track. That's 13 on track incidents with uh, Ross Chastain that we've had this year. On average, something like that. It would play out to be. Yes, sir. Yeah, that 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 seems about right. But yeah, Evan, you touched on it and I'm going to let you have it because the Toyotas do need to wake up. But your your rant feels more spirited than mine. So what a rip, buddy. 
I just, I mean, look, 2311 has been the better Toyota team, which good for 2311, good for MJ, good for Denny, good, good for Bubba, good, good for love Tyler Reddick too. But I mean, hey, Gibbs, wake the hell up. Ty Gibbs, quietly, Ty Gibbs isn't an asshole anymore. So thank you. Thank you. At least someone's grandson isn't a dick. Um, you know, <laughs> he's quietly put together a nice season. Martin Truex Jr. has a race win, but feels a little underwhelming. Denny Hamlin has been downright disappointing, I think you could say. And and Christopher Bell, though consistent, he hasn't won yet. And I think that's a disappointment, too. So you're looking at Toyota, and they're going to be adding a fleet here. I think that's important for them to get more data, get more talking points with, within teams. But I think Toyota, they're getting crushed right now. And, and frankly, Ford's not doing – Ford, when it comes to running races, it's Chevy right now. It's, it's Chevy's up front. Trackhouse is up front. Hendrick's up front. Those are the guys that week in, week out, you can trust to be up there. And frankly, I think that the other two manufacturers are a little behind this year. But Toyota has been a big disappointment. I mean, just really not great. No, hundred yeah, percent. I, I do. I agree with the 2311 over Gibbs comment. Um, I think that's pretty spot on. I do have to note just because you're coming at him here and add, you can have the floor after this. Christopher Bell did win a race. Evan, go fuck yourself. There is no Christopher Bell slander on this yeah, podcast. Right. I'm sorry. No, sir. I'm sorry. Sorry, Christopher, please forgive me. <laughs> All I was going to say is I'm you, touched on, anyway, you touched on Ford, so we may as well. Gosh, Bob, Bob, and, Bob and Christopher Bell, man, just a, a match made in heaven. Who'd have thought? But um, uh, at this point, it kind of feels like um, Ford, for whatever reason, decided to use the engine that was in my 2016 stolen Ford Fusion um, to race this year because they haven't had speed to catch a soul. I mean... If if the only bright spot and the only like and it's kind of sad to say is that if it wasn't for Kevin Harvick's retirement tour, I don't think we would have very many positive things to say about Ford. Period. I mean, yeah, Chase Briscoe kind of showed up, um, showed up last week, and and you know, or was that last week or at Darlington? I can't remember. I just remember seeing Chase Briscoe finally flip a switch and have a little bit of speed, which was shot so discombobulating for me. I can't even remember what it was. So it just goes to show you how head and shoulders above a Chevy has been to this halfway point of the season. You know, whether you want to put put it on the louvers or whatever the heck you want to put it on, they're just straight kicking everybody's ass. Give me the top three Ford drivers right now because Brad Keselowski is in that list. Oh, 100%. I, I, I mean, I think you got to go Logano. Keselowski probably – Blaney's consistency, I think you got to put mm-hmm. him in there as well. And then you got to win. Is it Chris Busher? I know. Oh, I know Blaney. That's the one thing he, he's he's like. Is it Chris Busher? Probably the fourth best Ford driver right now. I he, he, he probably up there too. Kevin, Harvick, Harvick, Kevin, I'm sorry, Kevin. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Kevin Harvick deserves to be in that list. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So Logano, Blaney, Harvick, and then. Keselowski, Busher, depending on who's running, probably one of the two yeah, RFK I, cars. Just to just to see the progress RFK has made in such a short period of time, you could tell that Brad is back to not fixing culture. He's actually just racing. 
And that that seems to be making all the difference, to be honest with you, um, just to just to kind of be able to focus on what's going on on the track and not having to completely rebuild a race shop seems to seems to have Brad Keselowski running around a little bit lighter this year. It's definitely a good story. And that's the thing. You've got nine winners, obviously 16 get in. So there's going to be, as of right now, seven people pointed in. I imagine that changes in the next 13 races, but until then, you know, there's seven spots up for grabs. RFK has got both in and Keselowski's 95 points in as of now. Busher's 59 in. I mean, they're 13th and 14th right now. They've set themselves up not just to rely on winning races here, but they're running on pure speed and consistency. And uh, they haven't had a lot of DNFs. That's really been a big deal for them. But no, if it comes down to, I don't think you're going to have 17 winners this year in the regular season or 16, however many it was. There's going to be, there's going to be spots up for grabs. And at the rate they're rolling at RFK, they're going to get at least one in, if not two. I I 100% agree. I mean, Chris Busher is not talked about enough either. If you put Chris Busher in a, a more competitive car, uh, and frankly, RFK has been competitive this year, but I mean, you put him in the top, a top team. I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be a, a race winner and a, a you know potential top twelve finisher uh, in the point standings. I, he's got that much, I think, driving fortitude. I don't necessarily know if talent's the right word, but he knows how to get the car around the track, which is worth a lot more than I think people realize. So I think that's really interesting. But I think the other thing is too, I just have to say it. If you have the most, like if there would ever be a situation, let's say Ross Chastain runs away with the points this year, which right now it's him and Kyle Larson and everybody else. There's no way on planet earth Ross Chastain shouldn't be in the playoffs. Eliminate the fact that it's Ross Chastain. Let's pretend it's Bob Bobby. Okay, if you finish first in the points, I don't give a damn if someone won 20 races. You deserve to be in the sixth in the playoffs. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. can lick my butt, okay? You won a freaking crapshoot that is the Daytona 500. Congrats. Finish in the top 15 any other week, and I'll maybe give you a, a spot in the playoff. But, I mean, that's the one thing I got a problem with. I love the fact that we incentivize winning because I think it was becoming a problem. But at the same time, I'm sorry. Winning a plate race on the first week of the year does not mean you should be one of the 16 last drivers racing for a championship, in my opinion. I can't disagree. And it, it, like you said, it would take a, it would take a lot for that to happen. Um, you know, I'm looking at the cutoff line right now. If it's a guy like Ross Chastain, yeah, he's 160 points to the good right now. Um, Trace Briscoe's the guy that's the last man in right now at 16. Him and Bubba Wallace are 20. Bubba's 23 above the cut line and Briscoe's five. But you look at the, the four guys that are out as of right now. Bowman's five out. Suarez, 13 out. Ty Gibbs, sneaky. He's had some runs now. He's only 15 out. And Austin Sindrick is free falling now. He's at 27 out. Um, out of those four, uh, you know, Bowman's finally got his back, I guess, back together. He's going to be back this weekend at St. Louis, which, by the way, or at, uh, at Charlotte, by the way, I have to mention, not sure if either of you saw it, but NASCAR had a, a snarky little tweet today. It was a it was an Alex Bowman comeback hype video, and the caption was, no commercial here, but we're excited to have you back, Alex. The shade after the Chase Elliott commercial. Just basically, we, we get it. We know you're not as much of a big deal, but we're going to acknowledge you're back. So welcome back, Alex. Thought that was a nice little little toast from NASCAR, but um, again, Bowman, Suarez, Gibbs, Cindric are your next four out. Out of those four guys, 
who has the best chance do you guys think out of those four to probably upseat either Briscoe or Wallace or even Chris Busher if he starts to, you know, throw together a couple DNFs here. I mean, that's tough. I'm going to be honest. I think just the speed the track house has had, I think you've got to put a little bit of, of gusto behind Suarez. I'm just going to say, I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of tracks that are coming up on the schedule that may or may not be able to get him a win, definitely get him some top finishes. And you know, he's in good equipment. You know that he's got good data because of what they've been able to do at track house in such a short period of time. I, I don't know. I think that this is the year where Daniel Suarez makes the step. I think he, you know, gets into the chase and, and maybe even does a little bit of damage. I know he's been quiet for, you know, for the start of the year, but I could really see him making a run late into this year. I think that the number one person that is going to take a spot is not even on that list. It's Chase Elliott. He's going to win a race. Ah, oh, Evan. He's going to. You're a mind reader. That was the next step. Well done. He's going to win a race. Like, I'm, it's just going to happen. Like, let's be honest. Hendrick has dominated. Josh Berry put that car in the top 10 a couple times. You know, Chase Elliott's going to get it across the finish line first. But uh, if, if you want to get weird, there's a lot of road courses coming up, and Austin Centric's pretty good on road courses. So if you want to get weird, you want to get weird at the Indy road course, you want to get weird on the streets of Chicago, Austin Cindric could steal steal a spot, if you want to use that term. Um, but I think Suarez, if you're going to say who's – like if you've got to point your way in, I think Suarez – frankly, Bubba's been impressive. I've been – this has been Bubba's strongest season yet. I think for the first thir- if you took a synopsis of the first 13 races and I wouldn't be surprised to see Bubba point his way in either, but I actually think both Suarez and Bubba will win a race. I think that they'll take care of that on their own. I think they'll, they'll get a win this year. That so cut line will Evan, just start you're... getting slow and slower, tighter. So Evan said a name really quickly in that analysis that got a little bit buried. Ha <laughs> ha. It's Josh Berry. I mean, kind of the only little bit of silly season we have to the halfway point of this season. Um, we know that he is going to be electively driving a Ford next year. Um, Bob, what say you about that decision? Because it seemed like Josh Berry, Josh Berry kind of held his own ticket as a, as a fellow Hendersonville native. What, what can you expect for the future of Josh Berry's racing career if, he, if the jump is finalized to Ford? Yeah, um, you know, obviously, once he signed with Kevin Harvick Incorporated for his, you know, agent, felt like the dominoes were starting to align there, and it was kind of the, the worst kept secret in the garage. But yeah, between Joseph Newgarden and Josh Berry, now Hendersonville, Tennessee, will have a driver in the main series of NASCAR and IndyCar. Not a big deal. Just have to point that out there. No Hendersonville racer on this podcast, but um, you gotta love seeing a guy like Josh Berry who hasn't been the career you know, pathway that most people take where, you know, they start young, they have funding and they make their way up slowly. This guy was in racing with Dale Jr. You know, he wasn't even full-time racing five, six, seven years ago. And, you know, he stuck with it. He's a guy that has a short track background when he was given an opportunity, not only in the junior motorsports eight last few years, but now, you know, in the Hendrick cars, whichever the 48, the nine the guys taken the opportunity and, and made the most of it. And it's a great story because it's not just the, the new NASCAR where it's, well, this guy's got funding and this guy's the hot prospect, you know, a Zane and Chandler Smith would have been easy to throw in that four car, but um, you get someone like Josh Berry, who's got the experience, who's ready to win now. 
may not be a championship threat right away, but he's a veteran that can lead that team when guys like Almirola and Harvick aren't there anymore. You know, Chase Briscoe's 25, 26. He's young. He may be the face of that team as far as competitiveness, but he's a veteran driver in his ear. And having a guy like Josh Berry in that uh, in that garage, I think, is going to be an asset. May not bring a lot of money on the sponsorship side, but you know, that's what Stuart Haas is for. And I think you said a couple weeks ago, if any team can self-fund a car besides Hendrick, it's Haas. So uh, that's that's yeah. something very interesting to watch moving forward, too. Yeah, I, I mean, Evan, what's Josh you? Berry, I, <laughs> I, I told Bobby earlier today in, a, in an Instagram DM, I love the fact that we're not just going with the young guys anymore. Hey, this guy's worked hard. Let's throw him a bone. Let's, you know, <laughs> let's give him a, give him a shot. I think that's, that's good for the sport. It's, it's good too to, to prove the guys that it's worth to keep with it. Cause there are guys that like Josh Berry that might not have got started until they were in their mid to late twenties. There are other guys that are still out there slugging around and hey, it could be you. And I think that that helps with the lower series. And I think that helps with competitiveness as well. I think that it, it makes the sport more well-rounded. And I think it makes some of the drivers a little more relatable. Like, let's be honest, Ty Gibbs isn't relatable. Austin Dillon, Ty Dillon, they're not relatable. They are racing because of their, like even Chase Elliott, who is talented, is not relatable. These Josh Berry, that's like a related, like that's like a, you talk about like grassroots and like pageantry, like that's what people want. They want someone that is easy to get behind. And, and Josh Berry is, is, no one's going to ever be like, oh, that bratty ass Josh Berry, go, you know, spinning people out again. That's what's crazy about Ross Chastain. Ross Chastain is that, but because he can't, you know, keep his bumper off of, you know, he's like a serial bump assaultist, um, you know, it, that's the problem, you know, but those guys are good for the sport. I think they're better for the sport than even sometimes even a little more talented guys that had an easier upbringing. I would, I would rather see someone like Josh Barry in that four car than a Harrison Burton. Who's not ready and may has the, have the funding. Um, I think you're going to see a lot more competitive ride with Josh Barry there for sure. How many drivers like that? Have we John Hunter Nemechek finally getting back with it in the Xfinity series? Like, how many guys that we just throw in the cup series because their dad had money and frankly, it could, it probably, it's like a quarterback. It's no different than an NFL quarterback starting too early. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the other name that kind of comes to my mind when you're, when you think about guys that they've kind of gotten a shot is Ryan priest. I mean, that's just another, another guy who kind of had his first chance and then stuck around, had to figure out how to, you know, didn't have a ton of funding and had to figure out how do I get back into a car and, Lo and behold, Stuart Haas again. It's just, it seems like they're making a conscious decision to kind of keep more mature drivers around their garage. I'm very interested to see if it works out. And you look at even Priest's car, a lot of the funding is through Haas tooling. Uh, a lot of times that's the, the primary sponsor on that car. So they're not, uh, uh, you know, I don't think, what's the word here? They're, they're not, uh, you know, blinded to the fact that some of these drivers they're bringing in aren't funded well, but they have the you know on track skill and Gene Haas has the pocketbook that they can outweigh it where you know a team like Gibbs or you know someone else may not be able to afford it as much because I mean even in the Toyota camp guys like Trevor Bain and um, you know maybe not necessarily a Ryan Truex because he's been around for so long but you look at like Sammy Smith there's there's guys in that Toyota pipeline that can be Cup drivers but just there's no room and it's the same way in the Cup series in general 
there's only so many seats here and F1's even worse. That's why you see a lot of those guys come to IndyCar. There's only so many seats in the garage here and you know, only so many generational talents can stick and some guys get pushed out early. Some guys stay too long and, and then you get a Ty Dillon in the middle of it all. So it's, it's a lovely dynamic when it all mixes out. And we talked about economics a little bit earlier and that's just what, unfortunately what racing is the 20 most talented drivers are not in formula one just because some guys can afford funding the, you know, whatever you want to say, the hundred best, there's roughly a hundred drivers in cup Xfinity and, and craftsman's truck. Theirs aren't necessarily the hundred best drivers either. They got a better chance because there's a hundred or so seats, but unfortunately, you know, you gotta pay the bills and that's just the, the sad fact about it is, is, you know, only so many drivers can be paid drivers. And we see that in all kinds of motorsports. You know, a lot of these drivers aren't making a lot of money because they're paying, you know, they're having to pay their way into the team. And for instance, in IndyCar, there's only probably seven or eight drivers that actually have a salary. Everyone else is paying for their ride. So it's it's tough out there. And, and NASCAR is no different. And you're seeing that now. This whole thing with the teams and the revenue, and it could blow up. I mean, it could it could it's like the debt ceiling issue for NASCAR. It could really alter the way we view racing. The no, economy I'm always rears its ugly head into racing. I don't know how it does it, but money is the way that the world works, isn't it, Ad? I guess that's just how it works. TV will be interesting, yep, too. You got the new TV deal. So uh, no, NASCAR is at a crossroads when it comes to all this different financial and economic things. It's, it really is going to be an interesting next couple of years because we're on the precipice of bringing NASCAR back from kind of its its rut that it fell into the last five years or so. And it seems like motorsports as a whole, you know, is starting to trend up in North America again. That's exciting. And NASCAR has to be at the forefront of that. They've got to figure out a way, one way or another, to you know, not get passed up by F1, not get passed up by IndyCar. They, you know, I think F one's definitely the the more worry just because the Netflix you don't have to worry about the, IndyCar the glitz and glamour behind yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think IndyCar is. Yeah, I saw those Peacock ratings. It's not. It was not needed. So, um, you know, figure we'll we'll wrap this up here in a second. But obviously Memorial Day weekend coming up. It's a big weekend for racing, and you know we broke down halfway through the point of the NASCAR regular season. Evan and Adam, I need some I need some hot takes real quick here. Obviously some winners. We'll get to that, but. One hot take for the regular season that we have not seen for the NASCAR yet, whether it's a winner, uh, a team maybe making some strides here, maybe Ford finally figures it out. What's something that we can look forward to here? Ooh. Evan, go take this one because I'm not. I don't think I'm quite ready for a hot take. I got to figure it out. Ross Chastain becomes the, the most. Con- Ross Chastain becomes the most controversial champion ever after he spins Kyle Larson in Phoenix to win the championship. Ow. I, oh, 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 oh my God. Can you imagine? I, oh, I need the Cliff Daniels audio, the radioactive right now. And it would be a move that if anyone else did it, they wouldn't think twice. But because it's Ross, it will be the firestorm of the century. Wow. So 
<laughs> this is going to be my hot take of this is going to be my hot take of all hot takes. And it sounds crazy, but hear me. I think Chase Elliott's going to miss the playoffs, guys. I know you guys think I'm crazy, yeah. but given his performances earlier in the year before he broke his leg, he was not racing well. And I think that's the thing that this injury is kind of kind of erased a little bit of is that he was having a terrible start to this year. Literally looked like a fish out of water in the car. I mean, obviously comes back at Darlington and ends up in the top 10 with, you know, a little bit of a crapshoot there, but I I don't know. It it just feels like with everything that Hendricks has going on, I think, I mean, here's my thing. He's going to have to beat either Kyle Larson or William Byron, who have both been lights out this year to win a race. Because at the end of the day, they're going to either, if he's in a position to win a race, they're probably going to be in a position to win the race too. So I'm just curious because obviously I understand that Chase Elliott is a premier talent in the sport. It just feels like this year isn't shaking up for him. It just doesn't feel like it's going to shake out for him. I'm not sure what NASCAR would even do with that. But I think if there's ever a year where Chase <laughs> Elliott could miss the playoffs, this would be it. They would find a way to say that there was another Michael Waltrip racing incident and they had to kick seven teams out of the playoff because god forbid chase elliott they'll put michael mcdowell's ass in the playoff with chase elliott just to get chase in ryan Priest, oh that's my other hot lucky day that's my other hot take michael mcdowell's gonna punch ty gibbs i feel it i feel it in my bones I feel it deep in my bones the crusade will begin and then after the crusade will begin this will be a holy war after after that, all three will hold hands at chapel the next weekend with Joe Gibbs. It's going to be a yeah. lovely he gets us dot com ad. I cannot wait for that. Um, I I, I yeah. got to mention though because ad I do I I kind of like what you're saying about Chase out there. Um, when we were kind of talking about the standings there, none of y'all said Alex Bowman would make it in, and he's only five points out. He's coming back this week. I actually have some faith in that forty eight team because. Least we forget, before he broke his back dirt racing, and even with a 25-point penalty that should have been 100 points, but that's neither here nor there, he was a regular season points leader. Uh, I mean, the guy was rolling hot. So I really would not be shocked to see that 48 team get in over the nine if anyone. And yeah, like you said, everyone is assuming Chase Elliott's just going to win one of these road courses. One of my hot takes is it's going to be a guy like A.J. Allmendinger, a Michael McDowell, a Ty Gibbs, an Austin Sindrick. One of those guys is going to be the person that steals one of these Chicago street course, these Watkins Glens, these indie Rovals that we're still doing because, wow. you know, why not? I can't wait to see the turn one carnage there as well. I mean, it's just going to be a shit show. But I think somebody's going to steal one of those races. I do. Two things. Alex Bowman will win a race before Chase. Agreed. Don't. don't I, I, don't, I actually think Alex Bowman's got a chance this weekend. If he... If he's feeling up to it, if he's feeling physically ready to do it, I think he's got as good a chance as any. But I actually think this weekend is maybe both of their best chances before Chase gets to a road course. But that's the other thing with road course racing now. It's not just, oh, A.J. Allmendinger is a you know road course ringer. Chase Elliott, Tyler Reddick is a road course racer now. Martin Truex Jr. loves to race on road courses. has been good. Kyle Larson, as he won um, – at uh, Sonoma, I think two is he won two years in a row now. Um, so you got these guys. Mm-hmm. That, it's no longer you know the said no, heads, Suarez, Suarez, Suarez. But the the said heads, you know, you don't have said heads anymore because the regulars can race on road courses. Christopher Bell is another guy who can wheel it on a road course. 
I'm just excited to kind of figure out, you know, just the different beefs that kind of pop up in NASCAR and stuff like that. I'm just excited to see if we have any more on-track incidents, maybe some that don't involve Ross Chastain, because at this point we understand that if you come at Ross, you're probably going to get at least a one-piece with a biscuit, possibly a two-piece. And I think the rest of the garage kind of took note of it. So it'll be, I don't think Ross will be the one who ends up getting punched, but I, I don't know. I think Ty Gibbs is on the short list in my, in my head, at least we'll see, but an interesting year to this. It'll be interesting to see though, because at, it feels like every week, and this is compared to last year where the racing was a lot more of the storyline feels like the off track, like drama is picked up this year in NASCAR for whatever reason. I, I don't know if, you know, emotions have just kind of boiled over with the next gen car and all the fines or if, you know, Ross has just got everyone in their feelings, but it feels like the the off track intensity has picked up and it's taken it on track. I, well, I, I think they I, finally yeah, figured I, out the car. They finally figured out the car enough to where they can yell at each other off the track and bitch and moan at each other because they finally figured out how to drive the damn thing. <laughs> I, I know you guys have covered the Ross Noah Gregson stuff, and so but just two things about it. One, Chase Elliott was a little bitch for what he said. If you want to fight his ass, go fight his <laughs> ass with your broken leg, buddy. Two, I was proud of Ross because I thought I kind of thought Ross would run away. And, I mean, look, Noah Gregson, if anyone needs to get punched, it's Noah Gregson. <laughs> like, Noah Gregson deserved <laughs> to get punched before Ross Chastain. And Ross Chastain, people forget, you know, Noah Gregson literally caused, could have killed somebody at Road America last year. Like, he has no business being the one that, like, if Kevin Harvick wanted to go over there and try to fight Ross, power to you, Kevin. Even even William Byron at this point. But Noah Gregson, know your role. Know your lane. That, that, that wasn't it. But I think what will be really interesting, too, is I'd love to see Kevin Harvick get into one more. Na- I hit Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin, like, rolling on the, on the front stretch at a race would be my – just please. I need him to do the roof jump onto Greg Biffle just one more time. I don't know how, if it's possible, but maybe maybe SRX this summer, Kevin Harvick gets into a beef with, with someone. I, I'm I'm here for it. Haley, Haley, really the Kevin Harvick jump. Slapping each other. <laughs> you know, the, I'll say this. The Kevin Harvick uh, dive onto Greg Biffle's car was sec is second in my mind only to Kurt Angle jumping off the TNA impact stage onto Abyss. Just Perk Angle just full front flip on. I was gonna him. say that was just, that was not that was not Olympic gold medalist Kurt Angle. That was Perk Angle. There's videos on Instagram. Well he had Bobby a Bobby sends neck. them to me. Bobby sends them to me. I send them to Bobby. Apparently Adam's in on this now too where people are hitting each other with fluorescent light bulbs. At the end of the year, I would love to see a steel cage death match in Phoenix, middle of the track, Ross Chastain in there, unlimited fluorescent light bulbs. And any if you want to get in there and take your shot, you get a chance. First one to defeat Ross gets it, 10 playoff points next year. Oh, my gosh, guys, I did it. What Evan is talking about, it's called King's Road Wrestling on Instagram, and it is the most – Absolutely insane videos. I'm upset that we didn't do Adam's bachelor party at one of these events, to be honest. I think I just did it, fellas. I figured out how we can fairly decide who gets the last playoff spot if there's no winner. If there's like, if it's, we don't have 16 winners. I believe we need an all field Royal Rumble with the remaining drivers that aren't qualified for the playoffs. We'll pick a, we'll pick a, a stadium every year and 
it, it will be chaos. It will be the, I don't know, the mods and mufflers match. I don't know what we'll call it, but we'll figure it out eventually. My God, Casey Kane! Casey Kane! Oh my God! Is that Casey Kane's music? Oh my God. AJ Allmendinger is just beating everyone's ass. My God, Tony Stewart killed him! Driver. <laughs> which ex <laughs> Which ex driver would you like to see in that scenario? Well, I've got a real, I've got one with a real killer instinct who I think would do a really good job in the ring. I just don't know. I don't trust Kurt Busch's. I don't trust Kurt's head to hold up. So, uh, I don't know. Honestly, Anyone else kind of probably Jimmy Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> good luck getting his fat ass out of the ring. Good luck with that. One of my favorite Jimmy well, Spencer stories. Well, could be eliminated. My dad went to the Brickyard one year, and they were hanging out at the race track, whatever the hell they called that show back in the day, with Kenny Wallace and, and John Roberts. And my dad said that during a commercial break, Jimmy Spencer got up and berated a producer of the show because they were out of Krispy Kremes. And he said, if you don't give me a fucking box of Krispy Kremes in the next 10 minutes, I am going to go fucking ape shit on this set. And <laughs> That's a true story. Mr. Excitement, that's a, baby. That's a true story. You know what? On that note, I, I don't think we've left much meat on the bone here, fellas. Does anybody have any last thoughts before we take this thing too far off the rails? No, no. Ad, I'm, I'm excited for this weekend. Um, for our listeners, if uh, if Sunday night's episode is a little discombobulated, I'm sorry. I'm going to a wedding, and uh, the plan right now is a, a drunk podcast for Bob and a sober podcast for Adam. So um, we'll we'll see. But just you know, for our viewers, that if if you're just shocked at what you hear on Sunday night, it's not my fault. That's that's the liquor talking. Real quick, a little a little. If, you, if you're looking to throw money, oh, go, go ahead. I'm sorry, Adam. I'm listening. No, I'm listening. You said, to, you said if, money. If Go ahead. If, if you're looking to throw money, Sergio Perez, Alex Pillow, Kyle Larson. I, I think the yeah, yeah, I, 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 I think Kyle's the hottest hand. And if you don't, if, if you let's say you don't want to go for Kyle, that's fine. I, I think that's acceptable because well, he can't win every race. Maybe throw some money on someone. I think that you know we talked about earlier as having a great year, and it's William Byron. I think I think Hendrick is going to continue to dominate. So maybe sprinkle a little money on both those Hendrick cars and Polo. Sergio Perez wins every street circuit in Formula One. It's a done deal, and he also loves countries that are rich and don't celebrate human rights i don't know what monaco's human rights situation is but they certainly have a lot of money it's small enough that i think it's all in the family so i think you can get away with slapping your kid a time or two yeah, That's well, true, actually baby. cody Ware is going to join us next week uh, to talk about that so Oh, actually, that's the that's the plan next week. We're in Gateway in Evans' hometown, so we're instead of Kenny Wallace live, we're gonna have Cody Ware live at, to, at Evans' house. So, um, can't wait for that podcast next week. Looking forward to it. Uh, the the fifty one on the track, forty actually, I'm sorry, thirty sixth on the track, fifty one in our hearts. They're we're, we're rocket driven by Cody Ware. Uh, Goodness gracious, earlier, we've gone off the rails. 
Oh, if they only knew what we say in the pre-show. Goodness gracious. Well, Evan, as our first ever repeat guest, I got to thank you, my friend. It's always a pleasure talking racing off the, off the, uh, off the mic, but somehow on the mic, it's even more fun with you three or with us three. So um, always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you so much. I, it's, it's, it's a joy to come on and, and chop it up. I, I don't have a lot of people to chop it up with, so it's always good to get that opportunity. <laughs> Amen, brother. <laughs> sure. I'm sure we could probably do we'll this be... for another three hours and we probably wouldn't even get too much further in. Nope, not even a little bit. So before uh, before my computer just kind of melts at the thought of processing a three-hour podcast, um, go ahead and like on Sunday night. We'll bring you everything that happened. Comment, subscribe, share this wherever you can. Um, it's a great weekend for racing. It's a great weekend to be listening to this podcast. So check back in with us on, on, with us on the long day of racing. And well... This is Breaking Balls, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, Pat Tillman. (laughs) Pat Tillman, stand up.